It was developed by a Japanese doujin. Is it pronounced cider skein? That's the way I understand it. Okay, you know, when I always read that, I always read that wrong. It's like sister skein. All of a sudden, start playing. Uh, what, what's that? What's that one? Uh, uh, how much? What's your price for flight by? Um, is that the eighty song? Oh, Sister Christian. Sister Christian. That immediately <laughs> starts playing whenever I read that. And uh, unintentional things of playing maybe too much shmups and then <laughs> This is your brain on shmups, people. Shoot the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, official companion podcast of the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that doesn't often play God, but when we do, we play Kamui. From RF Generation, I am addicted, and with me as always is... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. So, a quick little blurb about the RF Generation. <clears throat> have a great database where you can document your collection. It has all sorts of different variations for stuff, so if you're looking for... Let's say, hey, I want to add this Brazilian title to my collection that was released for the Mega Drive. You can definitely do so. Or a weird Korean variant. You're definitely going to be able to find stuff that's not normally shown in other game collecting apps. Also, good, a lot of articles on there, good stuff. And right now, we're trying to finish our 2019 goal of beating every licensed Nintendo game. Yes, and also uh, a Discord server that you can come hang out with us and chat and uh, have some fun there. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion going on right now about Darius, and specifically Darius Twin. Oh, we're all trying to get the high score and figure out the best path to the win. Yep. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, by the way, everything at rfgeneration.com is free to use, and it is free to sign up. So go check it out, rfgeneration.com. No cost to you, only to us. <laughs> All right, yes. so the the shmup game of the month for September was Kamui, which is very similar to Taito's Rayforce. In fact, that is into our question of the month. Yes. Kamui borrows heavily from Taito's Rayforce in its design and gameplay. What game do you feel may stick too closely to its source of inspiration, even if it's a good game in its own right? Yeah, so uh, at CollectorCast, uh, Duke Togo from the CollectorCast uh, says, Hard for me to think at the moment, but Life Force is way too gradius compared to Salamander, but it still plays great. You forgot to say the heart and soul of the CollectorCast. <laughs> well, I think most people will know that by now. That's true. <laughs> All right, our next one comes to from at Maz 67086804. Polestar, being made by X Irem devs, may feel like an R-type series game. Force pod, stage, and enemy design, gameplay, the R-type vibes are really strong with this one. Yes. I really like Polestar, and I want to see if we can fit that in with the next couple of years. It's a great game. 
Indeed. Yeah, we need to get uh, we need to get a Neo Geo shooter in there somewhere. Uh, and finally, at risk system underscore game says it's tough to say because sometimes even genre conventions can make titles feel samey and deviations tend to uh, need to be incremental for audiences to not throw a fit. So even a game doing something new will often have to resemble a previous success to keep people comfortable. And that's an interesting perspective. And I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of validity to that. For myself, you know, I was kind of mulling over this question, trying to figure out, you know, how to properly answer it. And of course, there are a lot of ways you can approach it. Uh, you know, we'll be discussing Kamui here and all the similarities to Taito's Ray series. But then, as Risk System Game says, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of borrowing in the genre anyway, because if you think about Saibu Kaihatsu borrowed a lot from Twin Cobra or Kyu Kyoku Tiger when they made the original Raiden. And then the original Raiden became the source of many copycats. And so you had things like Sand Scorpion and, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the Korean developer that did at least two uh, blatant Raiden ripoffs. And, you know, there's there's got to be a half a dozen games like that. So that's that's what I would say is is maybe just the glut of Raiden clones that sort of came out in the early 90s, I would think, are probably too far into that plagiarism space, even though, generally speaking, they're still fun to throw a, a few quarters into now and again. What about you? As for me, I'm going to sort of stray away a little bit from shmups here and say Cannon Dancer and Gun Force 2. Or you could say more, if you want to be technically correct, say Metal Slug. <clears throat> Gun Force 2 Geostorm was made by the people who would, devs who would eventually... I'm sure the story is about as old as everybody knowing Doki Doki Panic is... Uh, transformed into Super Mario Brothers 2 for the USA. But Gun Force 2 was made by Iron employees who would later on make the Metal Slug series. So it's mm. very interesting to see the parallels there and how it's sort of like a, a pseudo-prequel. It's really interesting. The other game that I would add on is Cannon Dancer. Have you heard of that before? Uh, I think I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar with it. It's one of the. It sort of falls along the same path, but Cannon Dancer is made by ex Capcom devs, and if you were to Google it, it you would say that really looks like Strider. It, it's sort of like what, in some ways, it's like a Strider 1.5. They don't do that PS1, you know, polygon 3D perspective, but it's still an interesting game to check out. Until the early 2000s was relatively unknown. So if you're looking for some Mame hidden gems, which, well, probably at this point aren't hidden gems, but if you're looking for some different games to try out on Mame, give them a shot. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's probably better than Strider Returns. You know, I'm sure the AVGN would have some expletives to say about that game, but I'll <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> well, that's that's to say I think everything is better than Strider Returns. <laughs> oh, uh, one thing I want to add in real quick is that Cannon Dancer also goes by the name Osman. Okay, I have heard that as well. Good deal. 
So thank you for the handful of you who participated this month, and uh, we'll hopefully have a an interesting question to make you think next month. All right, so you ready to get into Kamui? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so it was developed by a Japanese doujin. Is it pronounced cider skein? S- that's the way I understand it. Okay, you know, when I always read that, I always read that wrong. It's like sister skein. All of a sudden, start playing. Uh, what, what's that? What's that one? Uh, uh, how much? What's your price for flight by? Um, is that the eighties song? Oh, Sister Christian. Sister Christian. That immediately <laughs> starts playing whenever I read that. And uh, unintentional things of playing maybe too much shmups and then <laughs> This is your brain on shmups, people. All right. So it was developed by a Japanese doujin. Uh, Cider Skein, initially published by Himea Soft in December 1999. It was published in the West by New Media on Steam 15 years later. Cider Skein had previously developed two games, notably a prototype STG called Reflection, which was later reworked into game Reflex X. Kamui and Reflex X make up two-thirds of the tale of Altinex trilogy, along with the game Altinex Second. Now, Kamui was the first game in the trilogy to be released, though canonically, it's the final portion of the three games, or the third in the trilogy. Kamui is heavily inspired by Taito's race series of shooters, with gameplay often mirroring Rayforce, Force, and the story having lots of similarity, similarities with Ray Crisis. <laughs> Cider Skane is working on a new game, Heavy Dragoon, Dragoon Arms. Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> It has an overhead mech action game similar style to Gunspike or Cannon Spike. No ETA on release yet. Well, uh, if it's anything like Kamui, I will definitely be there. Yeah. So, would you like us to take us into the Tex-Mexium of the game, so to speak, or the story? <laughs> sure. Uh, taking place sometime after the events of Reflex, humanity continued to recover from the devastating war with the Raiwats. In an effort to improve AI and revolutionize computer systems, a top scientist named Zafikel de Alice created a questionable method by which to infuse the human brain with a powerful computer to create more effective weapons. The technique proved successful. In a strange twist of irony, his daughter Panafil de Alice was found to have supernatural powers. Zafikel was unable to hide this fact, and Panafil was chosen by the military as a test subject, and her brain transferred into an automated Kamui fighter. Devastated, Zafikel decided to take revenge on humanity and use the technique on himself, transferring his mind into the orbital control platform Adjudicator. He also rebuilt the supercomputer Altinex to aid him in his efforts. However, Altinex turned on him and took control of all of Earth's military forces save for the single Kamui driven by Panafil. Now, this rogue Kumui must destroy both Altanex and Adjudicator before humanity is destroyed. This, takes, this story takes me back to uh, memories of uh, Thunder Force, really, with their stories, where I think one of them was that the um, Voyager probe like somehow became sentient and Want to wipe out humanity? Was that the basis of, like, Thunder Force 3? I'm trying to 
<laughs> but uh, just, just to, it, it went full craziness, and I love it. Now that was Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I'm pretty sure that one of them was a probe that had gained sentience, and it wasn't Star Trek: The Motion Picture. <laughs> it was definitely one of the Thunder Force series where it was just absolutely crazy. I'm pretty sure it was Thunder Force Three. Well, speaking of which, we'll have to get back to that to see how how, how fun that story is. Yeah, and of course. Uh, just a just a side note uh, to make sure that this is clear is that Altine X is a supercomputer planetary defense system, and defeating that is part of your mission, very similar to the con human computer from Ray Crisis. Now we talked about Kamui mentioned it several times. Do you want to describe what Kamui is? Yeah, um, it's a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up. It's two action buttons. And basically the way it works is you have one button that is your primary forward fire. And then you have a second button that activates a lock-on mechanism. Very similar to Ray Force, Ray Storm, or Ray Crisis. Or also, uh, coincidentally enough, um, Terra Diver, or Sukiyo Gurentai. So it was kind of... I don't know if it was just something in the water during that time in mid to late 90s Japan, but there was definitely several games coming out that had this lock-on mechanic as part of its main draw. And uh, so the lock-on mechanic is essentially what, what's called a lightning weapon. And with Ray Force, of course, or things like um, Dragon Spirit or Zevius, you know, games that it draws inspiration from... You've got a target reticle that's out in front of your ship. And so when enemies pass underneath of that, that's when you can target them and then fire. Well, with Kamui, it's a little bit different because essentially the entire size of the screen is your target area. And so it's just a matter of, A, making sure that you have energy to target and there's a meter at the bottom of the screen that fills up. And then B... Uh, enemies that are on a lower plane below uh, kind of your level there at the, you know, in the stage. And so you hold down the second action button to use that and target enemies and then release to actually fire the lightning weapon. Yeah, it's a lot of balancing your resources on this. You're going to be if you, you're going to be hitting enemies below, you're going to be hitting enemies on top. And if you hold down both buttons, you end up doing a focus shot. But the focus shot, that means that you can't do hit enemies on the lower plane. So there's a lot of it's a balancing act between the three, which makes it quite challenging. But I, I think it also makes it quite good. Right. And yeah, that lightning laser that you get when you activate both buttons... It's only good for a certain amount of time based on the amount of energy that's in the meter, and that depletes pretty quickly. Right. Um, the, the lightning meter pushes the uh, pushes the other meter back. It's like a needle that you want to try and keep in the middle as much as possible. As if you press on the focus shot, it, it takes away from your lightning meter. If you want to press lightning meter, you're not going to be able to do the focus shot as much. It's... Right. I think you can cut that. I think I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, one of the 
the big benefit of the lightning laser when you're activating it with both buttons is that not only does it do heavy damage, but it will also knock down almost any kind of enemy fire. Uh, so in lieu of having bombs or something like that in the game that will allow you to sort of screen clear and that sort of thing, you have the lightning laser. And so one of the techniques in the game is to sort of do short bursts of lightning laser, you know, hold down you activate your... Activate the lightning force? Something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like hold down your main fire button as you're shooting away at enemies and then sort of tap and just briefly, and I mean briefly, hold down the lightning button so that you'll activate that lightning laser for just a little bit and you can cut a swath through a whole mess of enemy bullets and make a path for yourself or, you know, do that kind of at the last second as enemy fire is coming your direction so that you're not taking hits. It's a major strategic component of playing this game and, you know, gives you the ability to, I'm not going to say like a get out of jail free card, but it certainly allows you a lot of flexibility in terms of getting out of precarious situations and finding a way to deal with a situation where you may be otherwise overwhelmed with bullets and enemy fire. So, yeah, it's interesting that way. The other thing that's interesting is the lightning weapon just by itself. As you're going through the level and you're using it, once you've used the lightning weapon, it will charge on its own. But one of the interesting things is if you hold the button down to prepare a charge to release so that you can target and shoot enemies on a lower plane, it actually charges faster while you're holding the button. But even with that, the charging slows as it gets to the, to the top or as the meter fills up uh, so that you've got a little bit of a delay there before it actually fully charges and that factors into scoring which we'll talk about a little bit later um, because the the lock-on uh, lightning weapon portion of the game is really where the scoring is uh, more robust now uh, the game does play out over what I'll call five main stages uh, the first four have you approaching the Altinex defense system? Stage five is attack on Altinex. And then stage six is literally just the final boss fight against Zafikel and the Adjudicator. So, and of course, stage five, uh, with the attack on Altinex, there's not really much of a stage to speak of. So it's almost like four main stages and then two big boss fights. So it's kind of interesting that it's structured that way. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how the game plays out. And one of the other main differences between Kamui and a lot of the games that it takes inspiration from is your ship is not quite a uh, glass cannon in the same way that a lot of other shmup ships tend to be. You know, most every game like that is... Your, your one-hit deaths. Well, in Kamui, you actually have a shield system. So when you, when you start out the game, your ship has four shield hits that you can take. 
And then once you've depleted all your shield hits, of course, you lose a ship. And then the next one is deployed. Uh, it is instant respawn. And once again, you start with four shield hits. So it's an interesting approach. And I think it was probably smart for the developers to, or for, for Cider Skein to do that because the way that the game is structured, the amount of stuff that's thrown at you, even though the ship has what I would call a, a reasonable hitbox, there's so much being thrown at you at all times, or seemingly at all times, especially with some of the boss fights, that I really feel like it was probably a smart decision to go with a shield system instead of straight lives. Because I think... Wow. I've seen playthroughs on YouTube of people who have been able to play through it and, like, no hit. And I mean no hit, as in not even taking any shield hits. But, wow. <laughs> That's a tall order. Because this game is difficult, even on the standard difficulty level. But helping you out along the way, of course, is power-ups that you can get to power up your main cannon. And then also... Every once in a while, you can trigger a shield restore, which will which will give you back one shield hit. So I think your ship can hold a maximum of eight shield hits. And uh, so it's weird that you start with four and then you can build up more than that. But yeah, that's that's Kamui in a nutshell. Yeah, I would have to say, uh, echo those sentiments that Kamui is... And definitely a more difficult game than I had initially anticipated, just because of the amount of constant juggling that you have to do between the three systems. It's not impossible, it's just something that is going to require a good chunk of time investment into it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like any shmup, or like any game that's really worth putting the time into it's one that you'll you'll see dividends with as you put time into it and you'll have those aha moments of sort of figuring out when and where to use the the lightning laser and when uh and how frequently to use the lightning weapon to target enemies below and then you'll start to see you know, you'll start to get a feel for the flow of the game. And as far as like how, how much of, how much of the lock on do you need to use? And, uh, and then uh, once you kind of get into the scoring of the game, it is when do you use the lock on versus the regular weapon? Because there are some enemies that will either start below and come up to your level so that you can target them before they get up there or will start on your level and then if you let them time out they'll go down and you can maybe target them so it's a balancing act of damage them some before they time out so that you, when you lock on you know you can get a lock on kill and hopefully get that uh, that extra point value for scoring but i think also i don't know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dance like you said kind of going back and forth between utilizing the the regular forward shot 
the lightning weapon and the lightning laser. And so I think that that sort of three-way push-pull works really well with the game. And I, I do think it is rewarding uh, as you play it over time and sort of get used to how the game works. Um, you know, just to sort of have those small victories and, oh, I got a little farther uh, and that sort of thing. I mean, when I booted the game up just before the beginning of the month to kind of play it a little bit and find a little bit of time to sort of get used to the controls again and and re remember what it was that you know is the basic way to play so that I didn't embarrass myself on my my first stream uh it took me a little bit to kind of get used to it again and i i was kind of taken aback i i kind of thought to myself this is harder than i remember and how am i going to get anywhere in this game during the course of the month uh, but it's been years since I played this game and put any real time into it other than, you know, just a few minutes or whatever. So for me, it was kind of a just a, an experience of kind of getting back into that groove and learning, relearning how to sort of think in that direction or in that manner to sort of understand when and where to use the lock on, when and where to use the lightning laser and how to balance those things with your standard forward shot, knowing when is it appropriate to dodge versus using bursts of your lightning laser, because either you can't dodge or you just can't dodge successfully. And so in a game where you would normally throw a bomb, this gives you a lot more flexibility to get out of some of those hairy situations without expending too much in the way of resources. So it's a much different and interesting take on that idea, making a screen clearing or partially screen clearing type of attack be a much more readily available and renewable type of resource than your typical bombs. You know, I know in in games like the rising games like Battle Garega and Battle Back Raid and um, armed police batrider you collect these little little bomb icons and things like that to sort of collect these up and then once you get so many you build up your bomb stock and as you destroy enemies throughout the game you can collect these things left and right and so there's a way to effectively build up a a very large bomb stock so that you have those available to use now of course in Garega. And in those games, there's a lot that you can do with those in terms of scoring, but just in terms of sheer survivability, if you can manage to collect a lot of those, you can have a pretty hefty bomb stock. And there are some other shooters that do that too. But in this game, you're not dependent on collecting anything to do that. It's literally just allowing the meter to recharge a little bit so that you can use a burst of that and give yourself a path forward. And I don't know, I think that's a really interesting approach and I'm I'm surprised that there aren't more developers who have tapped into that idea. You know, I would say that your closest uh developer in that case will probably be with Blue Revolver because you have a you have your regular shot, you have your focus and then you have your little special that you have to collect stuff in order to actually activate. It's not quite a meter. 
But that's uh, the Dojin space again is when you're getting closest to this. Your standard cave game, while well, it has a third button, most people aren't going to use the bomb in that case. And uh, I've been playing a lot of Futari lately, and it's pretty much a two button game. You, know, you, you have your rapid shot, and then you switch back to your focus shot, your rapid shot, and you do the, the one two dance. Well, this is a one two three dance, and I could definitely see it become a one two three four dance. With before this is over, and it's always interesting. We talked about this earlier. With how close do you keep it to the tried and true, while experimenting enough so that people recognize it, and the mechanics in there aren't afraid to try it, but provide enough of a variation that it seems new and interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's a delicate balance. And, you know, I know we kind of joked throughout the course of the month that this game uh, sort of plagiarizes the Ray series from Taito. And in some ways it does. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we can get into some of how it does that. But it also does enough that takes those ideas and expands upon them or takes them in a different direction to where I think it, it does sort of strike out its own identity particularly in not needing to actually target enemies with a reticle, but just being able to literally activate the weapon and anything that's on screen, you know, you can hit with a lightning laser. I think that to your point on that, that is something that is hard to get across initially. Is it targeting that initial plane and figuring out when is an enemy on the lower plane versus when is the enemy on the standard plane? What can I hit if I can't? Is one of the biggest learning curves this game has. Yeah, I mean, it's unless you go in already knowing the mechanics and having watched playthroughs and things like that, you know, if you go into this game cold, it's going to take you a few playthroughs to really get a feel for it and kind of get a rhythm with how you need to deploy the lightning laser and the lightning weapon and kind of sort of understand when those things are most appropriate situationally so that you can kind of start to figure out your way through the levels. And I know that there are a lot of shooters that are similar in the sense that, you know, you you have to learn how best to utilize the tools that you're given. But like I say, this is this is different in the sense that what would be your screen clearing device is is not a limited resource or it's not very limited so you really can you really do have a lot more flexibility than you are than you will in other games where the way that you play it or the way that you kind of route through a stage and that is very rigid and it probably is in this game in in the sense of if you want to maximize your score there's probably a certain way to a- approach it, but in terms of strictly survival, there's a lot you can do in order to kind of figure your way through the game and sort of help to tweak it a little bit every time so you get a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit further, and really just keep just keep progressing a little bit by a little bit and refining that that dance between the the three weapon types yeah it, it's it reminds me a little bit of let's of doom when doom first came out 
all you had to worry about was that one plane, what was right in front of you. As you just pressed the button and shot, you didn't have to worry about what was above you or below you. And then when you started to deal with having to look up, look down, and shoot there, it definitely changed the dynamics of a game and made it, in my opinion, more of an interesting game. But it it still retained that feel of a, what they were called at the time, Doom clones or first-person shooters. So it was interesting to see some of the parallels that with the first-person shooters and with the evolution of shmups and the ideas that were borrowed and then iterated upon. Yeah. So uh, we've got a opinion. I want to circle around a little bit back to the sound here. The sound effects, you know, the sound overall was decent, but nothing that made me really want to stick it inside my boombox or stereo or anything and just listen to it outside. You know, it wasn't... Mem- uh, serviceable but unremarkable is how I would describe this. I, lo- I do have to say that the explosions were nice and crunchy and didn't have that, you know, they, they had the snap, crackle, pop that you expect. And what, you don't always get with a doujin game. Sometimes they're overblown or you, it just doesn't sound right. And it's really nice to see that they nailed it for these. Again, the music was serviceable, and I, I didn't have any problems where I wanted to turn it off and put on some Slayer or Witchfinder General, whatever have you. But it's <laughs> just, it just, it wasn't bad enough that I wanted to turn it off, but it wasn't good enough that I wanted to turn it up. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of struck me as I was playing the game. I remember the game having a, a solid soundtrack when I played it years ago. But I never remembered any of the tracks. And when I went back to it and was streaming it through the course of the month, uh, a lot of the tunes kind of came back and I I sort of, you know, the melodies kind of got into my head a little bit. But when I stopped playing the game, the music doesn't continue to uh, play in my head and it's not something that I'm remembering consistently after I, after I quit playing. So... I don't know. I think the music is strong, but it's not overly strong, if that makes sense. You know, it, like you said, serviceable, but I think it's maybe a little bit better than that. It's just not, it's not enough that it left a, a mark for me. Well, to me, it blew the socks off of 1942 soundtrack. (laughs) Well, I think almost everything blows the socks off 1942, but I definitely enjoyed the tunes, and I think they fit the game well. I just don't think most of what's in the game is that memorable. I, I do think the boss theme, maybe, is a little bit more memorable than the rest, but that may also be because you hear it more frequently when you're playing through the game. So, I don't know. One of the things that I noticed that I thought was kind of cool is that the game has two different versions of the soundtrack, Given the fact that this originally came out in 1999, it has both a MIDI and an Og Vorbis version of the soundtrack. Yeah, which... fire up your Roland, let's go. <laughs> the Og Vorbis thing, uh, I was surprised by because that was a relatively new-ish format around that time. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Probably, I don't know this for sure, don't quote me on this, but that may be an open source format whereas MP3 at the time was still a licensed deal. 
because I think it was maybe a couple years yet before we would get the Lame encoder. And so I think it was still like a German sound engineer or something like that who came up with MP3 as a format. Uh, so anyway, th- that was a neat detail that I thought. One of the things that we have to talk about is the graphics and how much Kamui borrows from the Ray series, particularly from Rayforce. I mean, the Kamui spaceship it sh- itself is, I won't say a clone, but if you put them side by side, it looks awful close to the ship from Rayforce, the RVA 818X Lay ship. And then, of course, there are other things that it borrows as well. You know, the sprite scaling that is common in Rayforce is a big element in Kamui. Uh, your ship sort of drops into the stage like Rayforce, and you have, because of the whole multiple planes thing, you've got ships coming in from the top, scaling down to your level, or you've got ships at your level that scale downward, or stuff that comes up from a lower plane and scales up to your level. There's a lot of that going on. Uh, You have things like, in the first stage, you've got those um, girders or whatever that you're flying through, sort of like in a space station, that fly over top of you to sort of briefly obscure the Kamui ship. Um, that's a thing yeah, that you see. That was another Star Trek reference right there. Girders right. on there? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I mean, you see that in Rayforce, and then of course the lightning, the lightning weapon, um, is not unlike the lightning lock-on weapon of the Argray Zero Two fighter in Raystorm. So there's so much that they borrow from Rayforce and the related games, and I mean. I know that this is kind of coming out about the same time because Rayforce came out in 94 and then uh, Raystorm in 96 and Ray Crisis in 98. So that was pretty fresh yet when uh, when Kamui was released just a year or so later. Yeah, I think nowadays they would use the term spiritual sequel, homage, right. yeah, stuff. And those words, instead of clone, it's... Interesting to see how it, it, it does it does more than just change enough to be not called a copyright infringement. It, it's is its own thing. Yeah, I mean, it's at the time that this came out. I think an argument could have been made that this is the great great Gianna sisters to uh, Rayforce's Super Mario Brothers, but. As we've kind of discussed, there's enough in the game's design that sort of sets it apart or makes it more unique so that it's not just a direct clone. You know, it's got a little bit of its own flavor to it, and I think just enough that you can say that it's that it has its own thing. Its own thing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that assessment. The, enough of the pieces have been changed that... It still feels the core gameplay loop is still very similar to Rayforce, but that makes it familiar and it allows you to focus on the deviations from it and experience what's new. It walks a fine line, you know, just like Johnny Cash, and it does a good job. <laughs> yes. So, speaking of the walking the fine line here, I could only make it up to the stage three boss before I had to give up on my dreams of one CC. 
there was was there anything memorable about the game that stood out for you? Maybe an enemy, a boss, or something in there. Well, the stage three boss in particular is quite memorable uh, because it's very difficult and it has multiple phases, uh, so it has a lot going on. It's also takes a while to learn. That's one of the things that I I didn't quite learn a foolproof way to kind of get through that boss because some of the attacks are quite devious and they do things like multiple attack vectors. So it'll spray all of these spinning yellow bullets at you. Uh, (laughs) Things that D tungsten during the course of the month on my streams was calling it Orzo. (laughs) Um, But so it'll do that. It'll have these, sort of spreads of of the yellow spinning orzo, we'll call it, uh, while also then shooting out homing lasers. So it's a matter of figuring out, okay, so how much do I conserve my lightning laser meter so that I can kind of use that to burst fire through that to clear the path so that I can not get you know, not take shield hits during that time. And there are other, you know, it, it even has melee attacks where it has, because it sort of looks like a, like a crab, kind of a robot crab thing. And so it has this melee attack where it does a, a sort of thing where it lunges these two arms out at you one at a time uh, and then follows that up with a laser volley. And then there's another attack where it sort of brings in those arms while it's shooting out lasers from those arms and it's two forward laser cannons where you have to like fly up and over top of the boss briefly so that you can target it, but also avoid those lasers because that's the only way to avoid them. So there's a lot going on with that boss and it's a, it's a very cool and memorable yet sometimes very frustrating fight. So definitely something that was well thought out and well constructed as is the Zafikel fight at the end of the game where you're fighting against the adjudicator. There are even more phases in, in that fight and there's so much going on with it that I do feel like it would take quite a while to properly learn how to take on that final boss fight and really uh, really master it. The one thing that the game offers, which I think was probably relatively uh, innovative for its time, is it has a training mode. So you have the ability to go in and select each stage and practice each stage one at a time. It's a little rudimentary. There's You're, you're going into those fights with the base power, so you don't have the full power that you would have by collecting power-ups throughout the course of the game um, and making your forward fire stronger. But it is a way to sort of learn the level layouts, enemy patterns and placements and things like that. And so I did find it useful. I sort of worked my way up to stage three, got to the point where I could sort of consistently beat the stage three boss. And then I started working on stage four practice and I grinded on stage four for about a week and got to the point where I could 
almost take down the stage four boss, and I think I might have done so once or twice. So then I went back and started doing some full runs and was able to do a couple of times where I could get all the way through stage three, including the boss, get into stage four and at least get part of the way through, uh, if not reach the boss by the time, you know, we got to the end of the month. I would have to say, uh, I mean, I definitely agree with the, uh, your assessments. I would also have to add in stage three. The boss really surprised me in the way that it tried to box the player in and start doing its own focus shots. But the, the most surprising part had to be at the end where the boss tries to do one last desperate attempt to try and kill Kamui. I, I'd never seen a sort of like a, a death shot before within this shmup. Oh. You know how in Castlevania with um, Dracula X, it became so this cool thing where the boss would always try and finish you off at the end, but it ne- never could always left you with like a sliver of health. It, it, it has the same vibe of that. And like, hey, I'm about to die. I'm going to use my focus shot and try and kill you. At the very, and that struck me as something new and interesting I hadn't seen before. Right. Also, the, I mean, this is, nine, as you mentioned, 1999. This was, I mean, M2 was founded in 91. And it would still be a couple of years yet before they showed everybody how to properly do a <laughs> training mode. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that it's even there at all is is quite a quite an achievement. And I'm pretty sure that the training mode is in the original Dojin version, because I still have a I still have a, a copy of that kicking around somewhere. You know, I've got the Steam version, of course, but I downloaded and played this game years ago. And I seem to remember that being a part of the game you know, in earlier incarnations. I don't think it was just added for the Steam release. I do want to add one quick thing here. I I had to look this up because I was quite interested in, apparently there must have been something in the water, is about the, you said it was very Star Trek, the motion picture for uh, the Voyager probe. And yes, you are right on that. But I was looking through the ending story for, Thunder Force 3, and spoiler alerts for anyone here who hasn't beaten it, it said the Emperor Orn had been disturbing the union of the Milky Way for a long time. What was his true character? It was a huge biocomputer which had been made in the beginning of the Space Age. So I, And then we have uh, Fantasy Star 2, which came out in 91, that had the sort of the, the Space Age computer taking over everything. So I think it was just something about the 90s that made people think about space age computers yeah i guess when the more technology becomes a part of our life the more you know it makes you think about how far is too far and i mean you know we're at a point now and this is 20 years on from something like kamui coming out and almost 30 years on from something like fantasy star 2 uh, or actually, yeah, 30 years on from Fantasy Star 2, where where you look at this and you think, well, where when do we get to the point where, you know, we have, what's the word I'm looking for? When do we get to the point where we have malevolent AI? Or, you know, when do we reach Skynet kind of thing? I'm calling here right now, 2025, the first shmup where you have to defeat Siri in a giant iPhone for the end of the game. <laughs> Uh, you heard it here first, folks. 
I mean, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to think about, you know, I don't, I try not to dwell on it too much because I don't know how likely it is, but it is interesting to, to consider and at least, you know, think about how much, how much technology rules our lives these days and, and how much we depend on it as well. Yeah, even more so by this year, which we won't get into, but man, yeah, it's impressive and scary at the same time. Uh, one of the things I will have to touch upon that is most impressive by this game is even with all the bullets going on and everything that was going through, I didn't have any problem where I felt cheated. I was always like, okay, I could have done this, or I, that there was nothing that bullets that came out of nowhere that I couldn't see nothing melted in the color palette was really nice and allowed me to visually distinguish where I was versus all the enemies and all the, the bullets that were going on at any given time yeah I, I think you're right I mean I think the design of the game is such that things are relatively clear you know you're, you're not having one of those moments like we had with Ghost Blade where the orange bullets against that sort of red and pink background did not do it any favors or uh you know that kind of a thing so i do think that i do think that it it visually is distinct enough that it was it was able to yeah you're able to see everything and you're not blindsided most of the time yeah it's get this picture of putting bullets that blend in with the backgrounds is like creating a uh, aluminum pinball game. You know, it, 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 where's the ball? I don't know. Everything's shiny. <laughs> right. All right. Well, oh, now that we've given our impressions, let's move on to impressions from the forums. First one comes to us from Zoido. Hey, guys. As this is another one of the La, La Cia games I'm in, when I saw you picked it for September, I just had to try a few runs and try and focus more on it this month. I just played a run and beat my former score. I submitted for the tournament. The way the lock-on and laser works is still a bit confusing to other lock-on shooters like Rayforce or Crimson Closer. Sorry, Crimson Clover, but I'm getting used to it. I managed to break 7 million finally. Still couldn't beat the Stage 3 boss. It's ridiculously hard. No doubt about it. Congratulations on breaking your 7 mil score. Indeed. And uh, Geriatric Donmaku says, Hello, shmup players. I'm attempting to join in on the fun. But for now, only in the geriatric division, which is my excuse for playing on easy. And not that well yet. The entries under the name Smack have been registered at various times over the last three years. The entries under the name GDM are registered during the current month. So that's in reference to the picture he posted in the in the thread there with his scores. My current goal is to get a, P a new PB during this month. Any 50-plus aged players want to take a shot at me? Bring it! And then in parentheses it says, Please don't actually bring it. Not up for that level of competition. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he offered some final thoughts at the end of the month and says, Kamui made me start to feel really old. It's just a lot of activity to keep up with. Eventually, playing it made me feel stressed out. Kamui is such a professional production, it's hard to think of as a doujin title. I used anti-micro button mapping software to map the pressing of both buttons to just one, which made things a little easier to manage. If you are feeling that your current shmup is not stressing your brain enough, try out Kamui. 
and I, I'll have to say that uh, that button mapping is a smart idea. I I didn't do that during the course of the month, but that's not a bad uh, not a bad approach. Looking at the high scores, since there was only the four of us that participated, you, me, Zoido, and Geriatric Nanmaku, we only had the the three submissions. Everybody's so, a winner. <clears throat> yeah. So I ended up taking the top spot with 13,827,150, which I was very pleased with. That was uh, one of the last runs I did during the course of the month, uh, getting all the way into stage four on a single credit. Zoido with his 7,139,920 points. And Geriatric Danmaku, as mentioned before, with 4,356,020 points. Congrats to everybody, and thank you for joining us. Yes, uh, it was a small small crowd this time, but uh, we appreciate you guys playing along. And, and that's usually what happens with some of the indie uh, dojin releases of the PC, shmups, or STGs. It, we get less of a player base, but the player base is more dedicated, which is fine. It's something we like to alternate to, because it, it really is one of the seminal dojin releases, and... Right up there with Crimson Clover and I would have to say Zero Ranger in that same company. And something that people should be looking out for. And I think it was it last year that these were all on sale for Humble, Humble Bundle for like $5 or something. It's something ridiculously cheap. And I think it's something that you definitely should pick up on a Steam sale and see if it's right for you. It, it's not going to be the best shmup ever, but what it is is certainly worth playing. Yeah, and despite the fact that it borrows a little bit too heavily sometimes from Taito's Ray series and doesn't do, you know, that, it, that it's using a lot of existing ideas, it does just enough with those ideas that's different from what's been done before to make it distinct and to be a, a unique experience. So I definitely think Kamui is worth a play. And uh, realistically, yeah, like you said, the, the Tale of Altine X trilogy goes on sale pretty frequently on Steam. And it has, I yeah, it has been featured in a Humble Bundle at, at one point. So it can often be picked up very inexpensively. And all three of the games are definitely worth um, worth a play. Well said. So, uh, for uh, as we look towards here, we're recording this in early October, and we're going to switch from Giant Enemy Crabs to a full seafood buffet with <laughs> Darius Twin for October. It's great for the Super Famicom, and for those of you who have recently picked up the Darius Collection, come on and join us. Yeah, break out the tartar sauce. <laughs> and and in, in November... We're getting ready to go multiplayer with the Pilgrims with Jamestown Plus. I fully expect to see Sarah streaming this. This yeah. is one of those great... You know, if you're looking for a way to bring everybody in the family virtually together during Thanksgiving or during the holidays, bring them in with Jamestown. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, and that's available on PC, PS4, and Switch. So there are plenty of ways to play. All right, We'd like to thank Sarah Flash of Studio Mudprint slash Bullet Heaven for the logo and the frequent wearing of a great orange shirt. 
<laughs> I'd like to also thank Kogasu for the intro and outro music. Everybody on RFGen in the RFGen playcast. Everybody who is con- we're still working away at the 2019 RFGen NES challenge. I'd like to thank Metalfro for streaming the game of the month and making things always interesting with his two dogs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd like to thank Den T4F for running the La Cie Calice Cup series of competitions. Yeah, and that was one of the things I wanted to mention is is that uh, he's been running these competitions, and of course, it's a much more intense uh, configuration or setup than what we have. You know, we we take a whole we take a whole month to play a game, and this is one of those things where you get just a few short weeks to post a score in a dozen or so games, but both Zero Ranger and Kamui were on the list for the Lockley special that he ran here uh, within the last few weeks. And so it's kind of fun to see people posting scores and posting runs and things like that from these two games, even though those individuals weren't specifically participating in our RF Generation Shmup Club, it was still neat to kind of see activity with those games and see the community playing and uh, actively supporting those games. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Mark MSX, who is running his own competition, Shmup Slam 3, and it's coming in November 7th and 8th. He's definitely one to watch as he always seems to have his finger on the on the pulse of the doujins uh, he all i don't know how he does it but he always seems to know about a new game and, and have reviewed it by the time i'm just learning about it yeah and there should be several really fun live demonstrations coming up for shmup slam 3 i don't think the schedule's been posted yet so you know as of this recording by the time this episode comes out it'll still be it'll be a little less than a month away but uh, definitely be watching out for that. So if you'd like to connect with us, uh, we let it, just so you know, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and we are now on Amazon Music. So lots of ways that you can listen and enjoy the podcast, as always. And, uh, of course, you can also check us out directly at rfgeneration.com and stream the episode there, or download it later, and play it on your choice of device. You can follow us on Twitter at shoot the, at ShootCoreCast. We are over 800 followers now, so thank you to all of the, the new folks on Twitter who've been following the podcast. And you can also follow me directly at GameBoyGuru to see stream announcements and things like that. Uh, join RFGeneration.com. Again, it is free. And come on over to the community playthroughs forums so that you can join in a Shmup Club playthrough. Also, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. If you provide us a good review and uh, we get that across our feed, we will shout you out in an episode. Also, join the RF Generation Discord channel and check out the dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there where you can discuss the Shmup Club Game of the Month the podcast episode uh, podcast episode, or even just uh, shmups in general. And also follow me on Twitch uh, to get notifications of new streams. That is twitch.tv slash guru game boy. Yep. And in November, it's going to be huge because every other notification is going to say plain age of calamity. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, it might, because I'm probably going to be getting uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity and spending a lot of time with that. Looking forward to it. Um, so one other thing that I wanted to bring up here before we close out is, like this year, what we did in January with having Ketsui and having that be our year-long scoring competition is that we're going to be doing the same thing next year. So in January, uh, we're just going to let the cat out of the bag now so that people can get a copy of the game and be prepared. Our January game, that will be our 2021 scoring competition game, will be Battle Garega by Rising. And of course, you can purchase the PS4 port by M2. Uh, There was a physical release that came out uh, in Korea, and that has been pressed multiple times, so it should still be available. It can be purchased digitally on the Japanese and North American PSN, and of course, uh, there's always the Saturn version, if you want to spend a lot of money. Uh, you can emulate the game, and uh, if you're also crazy like I am, uh, you could also you may also have purchased the uh, limited edition from Limited Run Games, you know, and spent way more money on it than any human should spend on a video game. <laughs> so, anyway, Battle Garega will be our January 2021 game, and that will be our scoring competition for the year. And I guess to dovetail on that, you can still submit scores for Ketsui through the end of 2020. So. Uh, if you've been working on the game or playing it and you feel like, hey, you should I should submit a score. Maybe I'll, you know, be on the leaderboard. Either go to the rfgeneration.com thread for Katsui and submit your score there or tweet at uh, the Shoot Corecast account on Twitter with the hashtag RFGShmupClub and get us a screenshot or a photo showing your score and we'll make sure to get you on the leaderboard. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I, although the podcast may be like five hours of us learning strategies from Mark. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting one because there's so much to talk about with Battle Garega. It's just, it's like an onion. It's so layered. And it makes you cry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, anything else that we need to touch on before we get out of here? I'd like to thank everyone who participates along with us and tries out these games. It, it's been a lot of fun. I've been, you know, playing shmups now with with everybody here for a couple years, and it was and it definitely makes a great way to go through the interesting year that 2020 has been and get some really good enjoyment playing out with other people as well as trying new genres and getting better better at different types. I when I started out, I was more of a classic STG person. I preferred R-Type. However, I've been playing a lot more cave like Ketsui or dealing a lot more with Futari, getting used to the bullet hell t- style games on there. I even recently branched out and tried some Toho. There's a lot going on with the community. I love everything I'm seeing, how it's picking up. And it seems like every other day there's a new shmup that someone's making. I Mark used to say that the the Xbox 360 era marked the renaissance, but I think we're living in a new renaissance of STGs, and I'm really happy to be a part of it and to 
to be able to try all these excellent games and ideas that people are coming up with. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, I, I really do think you're right. I think we are in a, a shmup renaissance, and I wrote about that at RFGen a couple of years ago, and I just think it's it just continues to to go up and up. So I'm excited for the future of the genre. Definitely. All right, well, that will do, a, that will do it for us here on this episode. So we will see you again next month. Take care and stay safe.